What I do when, when I'm trying to, you know, really be thankful for things, I was thinking about just how important it is with our children to teach them gratitude. And I was even asking Peggy this morning when I was talking to her, and she had had her devotion, and she saw some things on gratitude and read it to me. But gratitude, I was telling Peggy as I was thinking about, gratitude is really something that's more than just thankfulness. I told Peggy, I said, I think it's thankfulness on its knees. I mean, gratitude is just a heart of being just grateful for all the things God's given us. And I think when we think uh, with our kids when they're young, it's really fun to say, oh, you know, if you're can't learning to count with them, to say, let's count our blessings. Well, you know, it's real easy to say the car, the house, the... But really, the things that we really want to instill gratitude in them for are just that the, that the Lord died on the cross for our sins. And so I think it's really important with your kids to start planting that seed early. I always share that story of my uh, my eight-year-old now, but when she was three, going to McDonald's and always getting the Happy Meal. I noticed it with my 15-year-old when I would take her when she was young, and every time we'd get in the car, it was just a chore to get her to eat her lunch. She would just argue and argue and argue with me. No, I'm not hungry. And she was so busy playing with the toy. And then I'd pack up the Happy Meal, take it in the car. And then when she said, I'm hungry, I'd say, well, here's your Happy Meal. She goes, that's cold. And then I'd get home and get her inside for a nap. And I'd go back out to the car and there would be the toy just shanked in the back. And I thought, you know, I'm really not teaching her how to be thankful for things. So we just shut down. I thought, you know, entitlement starts as early as three with a Happy Meal. And so I thought, you know, you Quit getting the Happy Meals. We went for the American meal. And then when my mother-in-law, that was a treat. When my mother-in-law took Gracie one day to McDonald's and she got a Happy Meal, she opens it up and she's so excited to see the thing. And she's like, this is a boy toy. And my mother-in-law said, that's all they had. And Gracie said, I'll be grateful. And she went to eating. You know, so it was just that mindset. You know, and that starts, ladies, when you get, when you see, my kids, when they saw heard that tunnel coming down from the bank, I want the blue lollipop, I want the red, and you open it up and it's two greens. Well, and then they're like, you know, I didn't want that kind. You know what? Be grateful that you got a lollipop. And I remember taking Blaney when he was three. We were looking about, we were thinking about changing churches, and we went to, um, fellowship bible and they had this big kid zone that barney had done that was the back in the days when barney was very popular he had done the whole set and i remember going in there and i left and i've never forgotten the song and i've used it so much but it they said gratitude oh gratitude let me check my attitude an attitude of gratitude says i'm thankful for what i've got and if my kids ever made that frown on their face, I would say, gratitude, oh, gratitude. And, you know, it just was a fun reminder that, come on, guys, let's be grateful. And I will tell you today, even my nine-year-old, she looks at me sometimes, she goes, Mom, I'll be grateful. It's just one of those things. I mean, and this is another thing that I pull out every year. I don't know, I did this a few years ago, but it says, the unthankful heart discovers no mercies, but let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as a magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessing. You know, when you think of your blessings, guys, think of the sun, the warmth from the sun on a pretty day. Uh, the wind as you're running through the park with your child. Start letting your kids see the th- see things that they would normally think, you know, to be grateful for. Because, you know, when we, I'm telling you, I was reading an article the other day and it was talking about this, this man, his children had affluenza. And he said, I don't know how to handle that, but they've got a bad case. And they're like, once we handle this case, I'm sure there'll be another strain out. 
because your kids are going to want things, and that's where they're going to find, like the iPod. And the and, and I'm happy to say my daughter's 15, and she's never asked for an iPod. She just got her first cell phone. And it's just one of those things, if you don't make that their, you know, their grounds for, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. I mean, I told Gracie the other day, she's like, oh, Mom, I want to go to Target because I've got a gift card. And I, I said, oh, my gosh, you've got a bad case of the gimmies. We are going to have to get some of that. She's, Mom, I know, I've got a case of the gimmies. You know, because Gracie said to me something so profound not too long ago. She said, you know, Mom, I went to Target and I used that gift card on that, on that whatever it was she wanted. She goes, and I'm not playing with it at all. It was some Polly Pocket thing about a year ago. And I said, doesn't that teach you a lesson? You want it until you get it. And then it's really not, that's not where we find our fulfillment in our society. It's really in Christ and just the little simple things. So I challenge you, these the ladies, today. I mean, I thought about, I was telling Peggy, I'd read this thing and I brought it, but I guess I left it in the car. And it was really talking about this man that went to church. And he said, oh, the organ missed a note. And, I mean, you know, he found all these things wrong with the day. The message was this and this and this. And he left the, 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 the sermon or he left the church saying, I don't know why these clods and hypocrites even go to church. And then another man that was in the service said, oh, my gosh, when I heard the mighty fortress, it brought tears to my eyes the message, and he went on and on about all the great things he saw in, or left. And he said, you know, I don't know how people can come to church and not know God. So I challenge y'all today, look for the blessings, look for the little things today, you know, try to, to, to train your kids and go toward, I mean, you can log on, I logged on to YouTube and there's a thing called the gratitude dance, it really, it's about five minutes, I was like, it's really funny to watch all these people do this one specific dance, and they were like, okay, you do it, and I mean, it was all walks of life doing it, so I challenge you to really start, you know, planting that seed of gratitude with your kids right now, because I'm telling you, as they get older and older, that becomes comes they become farther and farther from really and and Peggy was bringing to my attention what she had read today was that faith and gratitude go hand in hand and so really understand that if you love the Lord we should have hearts that are overflowing with gratitude I just saw a guy in the elevator and I don't know why I've been doing this for years but it really changes my mindset he said you have a blessed day and I said I am not going to take anything less And I think if we start out with that mindset that just says, you know what, I've heard it before, like Channel 8, the guy, the weatherman a long time ago, he used to say, make it a great day. Well, I agree with that. Make it a great day. But you know what, just set yourself right now. I'm not going to take anything less than a great day. And I know right now it's going to make it a great day because we're going to get Cynthia Culver up here, and she is going to totally bless us. Uh, my daughter is 15, has heard Cynthia speak, and she is a she was a blessing to my daughter who I can assure you daughters and sons will deal with body image issues. And um, she speaks from a biblical perspective, and uh, we're just blessed to hear her today. She is a counselor, and she has a private practice, and she ties in biblical perspective with body image. So we want to welcome Cynthia Culver. Good morning. How are y'all? I feel far away from y'all, so I'm going to move up. Um, sweet words and encouragement this morning. I'm sort of ready to go home, and I feel convicted already, and I'm not grateful enough. And so um, thanks, Millie, for just encouraging us with that. 
And I am Cynthia, and I really am excited to be here, and I just have to confess to you that I feel very inadequate to talk to you, and that is because I'm not a mom. And uh, if I'm a mom, I'm a mom of a 70-pound black furry lab named Dixie. And um, how does this work? No, maybe I'll just hold it. Um, so um, I do have a feel inadequate, and I even I laughed. Um, Cal Thompson's one of our elders. I saw him recently. I think it was on a Sunday, and he started laughing. He goes, hey, I'm so glad to see that you and Jennifer are talking to the moms. He was laughing because clearly we're not moms, and yet we're talking to y'all. And I said, I know. It's kind of funny. I was like, do y'all know that I don't feel adequate to do that? So anyway, I'm excited to be here, and I do feel like that um, my message really is um, – from the Lord, and so it's not sort of um, my opinion, I hope, um, or even my skills, but really what does the Lord say about this issue in this area um, and all those things. So we are going to talk about body image, and we're also going to talk about addiction, um, and that's kind of, they do connect. I was trying to connect them because um, that's sort of what Laura and I decided that would be best. Yeah, can you? Are they awesome? I don't know that I've ever had to talk for this long with a mic, so... Perfect. Can you all hear me now? How are we doing? Uh. <laughs> Does that work? Can you all hear me? Okay, good. Okay. Um, so anyway, so... Um, Anyway, I am excited to be here and excited to share with y'all just sort of what the Lord's taught me. And I have had the privilege and opportunity. I feel like I can't see y'all now over the mic. Um, to really get to sit with a lot of moms. And um, it, and it's fun to get to talk to y'all because your kids, I understand that y'all are sort of, your kids are under five. And so, or preschool age or, or whatever. And I get to talk to a lot of moms that their kids are... 11, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 18, 20, you know, and so on, where um, a lot of the problems have sort of begun to manifest. And now, you know, getting to talk to you early to be able to, to sort of see, you know, what contributing factors there are and what you can do now to hopefully prevent you know, later, some of the consequences of contributing in ways that you don't mean to. And so, anyway, I'm going to talk more about that. But let me pray first and um, just ask the Lord to sort of guide me and guide our time. Lord, I do just thank you for today, and I um, thank you for the privilege it is to get to talk to these women. And as inadequate as I am, you are fully adequate, and your word um, does not return void without accomplishing the purposes for which it was intended and set forth. And so I rest in that. And, Lord, I pray that these women would hear um, these truths and would um, respond. And, Lord, that you would begin, even as with Millie talking about gratitude and a heart um, that is thankful for all the things that you give us, my heart is pricked and convicted. And I pray even this morning that you would begin to work in all of our hearts um, to see ourselves and our bodies and our kids um, the way that you see them. So, Lord, we do just give this time to you and we praise you ultimately for your son in whom we have all things in Christ's name we pray amen all right so um normally one of the things I talk about is um 
just sort of what are the, the influences? I just talked to a group of high school kids, and sort of what are, the, what are the influences that our kids are underneath, and sort of what is it that's influencing them? And I've intended to show a video, and I wasn't on it enough to get it here in time, but um, it's a video, and you, some of you have probably seen it. It's the Dove video, and it's called Onslaught. It's not the one where they make up the lady, but it's the one where it's, it's disturbing in a good way because it, it shows it's real fast moving. It has this great music, and it's showing like this girl. You periodically throughout the video, you get this girl. She's on the scales, and she's smaller, bigger, smaller, bigger. And you get, literally, they've got her stomach going out, out, in, in. And they've got they've got a girl, you know, throw, sticking her finger down her throat. They've got a woman having plastic surgery. They're showing all these different things. And at the end, it says something like, um, "Talk to your kids before the media and the culture does." And so it's really, really powerful. And one of the things is that the culture in the media is influencing your kids. It just is. It's influencing you. And so um, culture, media, and then in, in a very real influence is the enemy. You know, it says in First Peter, um, the, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And, and, that, and it's, hard, it's hard to say that because you're like, that kind of puts it off on something you can't really see. But that's the truth. That's what God says. That the enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I, I believe that he uses the culture and the values of the culture to do that. And I look back when I think about the video that I'm not showing that I'm trying to describe to you. <laughs> Doing a real good job. But um, when I look back at that, I think about that. I'm like, that's his influence saying, yes, you know, kids, women, you need to find your significance in what you look like. You need to, to find rest and value in keeping up with your body's aging. You've got to stop it. You got to stay looking like this to be happy and valuable and find value. Okay, and so those are two of the three things that influence. The third thing is what we're going to spend our time on this morning, and that is um, what is what influences your kids is what is modeled for them. What is modeled for them? And one of the reasons we're going to talk about that is this is the thing that you have control over. You have control over how, what you model for your kids. And what's interesting, and I sort of laugh because I picked up, Mandy gave me this little doodad from this little thing that y'all get newsletter. And I laughed. I was like, was this planned? I looked to the left and it says, my behavior is the greatest influence on my child's behavior. And then the quote, I mean, the, the scripture is, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And that really is true. Your example is what your kids will follow. They absolutely will. So it, it's follow me as I follow Christ. And my encouragement and exhortation to you today is going to be to line yourself up with God's word relative to body image and food. And your child will be a healthy child. It's not that they won't have problems, but they'll have the right view. They'll have the view they need to have. So my encouragement to you today is going to be, let's get our view right. What does God's word say about that? Okay, so um, let's see. And I want to say, I want to start off this with just saying, this is not about, I feel so awkward with this thing here. Okay, there we go. Um, this is not about blaming. This is not about 
Um, I actually talked to a woman recently in, in counseling, and she had actually been to the, the body image seminar. And one of the things she said to me was, I left there feeling like I've done, I've done it all wrong, and there's, there's no hope. And I was like, oh. I was like, I would never want you to hear that. What I want you to hear is this isn't about blaming parents or blaming moms. And if you've done these things, it, it isn't about condemnation at all. And that's the beauty of Christ, is that there's redemption in Christ. You know, I grew up in a home where appearance was important. And unintentionally, my parents, you know, put some emphasis on that. And, um, you know, God, God brought freedom into my life. And he has restored that brokenness within my relationships with them over those things. And we have a sweet relationship. And, you know, my parents are very much aware and, and are part of that recovery for me. And so I want you to know that if you've gone down that road, it's okay. God is so much bigger than our mistakes. Okay? And so I really want to encourage you, please don't, don't take on the guilt and the shame and all that. But really just go, okay, Lord, that's why I need you. I cannot do this on my own. So I want to start off with that. I was going to save that to the middle, but I'm like, oh, I want to start with that so that you kind of going into this can hear this without being overwhelmed by the feelings of, you know, guilt and shame. So, okay. So um, here's the thing. Parents don't have to say anything to kids, anything to kids to them about their, the kid's body for them to form a belief about their body. A lot of times I talk to parents and they're like, well, I never say anything to them about their body. And I'm like, I know you don't have to. Okay. And what I mean by that is um, they know what's important to you by watching your life. Follow me as I follow Christ. They follow your example. And so you don't have to even speak. And I want to talk a little bit about messages. And I, I thought of a few examples. Like, just say that I'm standing here and Jenny Bender's sitting right here. And I look at her and I go, and I kind of look her up and down. I never said anything. But what message do you get from that? What's that? Judgment. Judgment. Yeah. That I'm, I'm sizing her up, Right. Okay, I never said anything, but I did go, I did check her out. And, and, and so I, I'm, I'm making a value judgment or something like that. Okay, so then um, we've all heard this question. Are you wearing that? Right? Well, I didn't say anything about what you were wearing, but, but what message did that just send? Don't wear that. Don't wear that. That looks bad, right? Okay, what about this one? Are you going to eat that? Okay, I, I didn't say anything to them about their body or about what they're eating, but, but what message did I just send? You probably shouldn't eat that. You don't need that. Or whatever. Um, <laughs> what about this? Cynthia Lynn. <laughs> they didn't say anything yet, but I know that tone and those two words put together meant I'm in trouble. Right? And then I even laughed about just like some of the nonverbals that we do, like, <sighs> right? The grunt, the roll of the eyes, all the nonverbals send you a message. 
They send messages, okay? So here's the thing. It's not about, and I, and I don't want to encourage necessarily behavior management, outward management. It's about the heart. Because once you get the heart right, the behavior will follow. So and it, what I want you to understand is that we're communicating messages even though we're not saying the words. Even though you're not saying, honey, I'm, I'm scared for you to eat that because I'm scared you're going to gain weight and then people won't like you. You're not saying all that. But the look, the monitoring, they know. Okay? And you send messages. So here's just a list of, and I want you to, as I list it, I want you to think and blurt out um, what message you get. Okay? So I want to give you kind of a list of things. And, And really this is all goes under when parents, moms or dads, when they do these things, they send a message. And so I want you to think about what the message is. So when you diet, what message does that send? What message could it send? I'm unhappy with my body. Okay, what else? It's important to be thin. Right. Okay, so that's just, and here's it again. You're not saying anything to your child about what they're eating, but you're sending a message about what's important. Okay, what about when you make comments about the size of your arms and legs? What message does that send? Smaller is better. What else? That's how you should judge others. Exactly. I'm unhappy with what I've got. Okay, when you make comments about other people's size... Oh, she's, she's a little heavy, or, oh, did you see that? I mean, I can remember someone saying, oh, Al Gore is so fat. I was like, oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, but, but, what, but what message does that send? What, what, when, you, when you hear someone say that, what message does that send you about what they're thinking? That, your, size has some value. your size has value. What about the fact that I am consciously, I am sizing them up based on what they look like. I'm valuing them. I'm judging them. And, and, and not even judging in a negative way. I'm assigning judgment and value to them based on what they look like. And that's how you're supposed to do it. That, and here, this is the thing. These are not intentional things. But it is, if it is what is ingrained in our heart... We do not have to say, sweetie, um, this is how you judge people. You judge them by looking at them and, and determining whether or not their arms and legs look the way you want them to look. You don't have to say that. All you have to do is say, gosh, my legs are so big. Did you see her? She's really put on some weight. And they pick up messages. It may not even be a message you intend to send at all. Okay, a few more. Um, When you weigh on the scales regularly, what does that send? Something you're focused on. And if it's something you're focused on, then it's important. It holds value. Um, and, And one of the things I've learned about um, well, no, you know about kids from developmentally is that kids up until the age of 11, between 11 and 14 is when they begin to develop what's called abstract thinking. Up until then, they, they think concretely. 
In other words, this is blue, that's brown. Um, I saw a little a girl in counseling who was a- actually anorexic, and she was 11 years old. And when we got to the bottom of how it all started, it all started because, well, my dad was on the no-carb diet, so I thought that's the way I was supposed to eat. Do you see, they're concrete. If mommy and daddy do that, then I also should do that. Follow me as I follow Christ. And that's really the answer. And that's, again, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But, but it, it's, they, they follow your example. It is only between the ages of 11 and 15 that they can begin to reason and think about, even I was reading something in one of my books from school. It talks about, it's 11 to 15, they begin to think about thought. They begin to think about abstract things, thinking about thinking. I was like, gosh, that's kind of, but that, that's when they begin to develop that thinking. Up until then, it's very concrete. Okay. Okay, so um, a few more messages. When you're focused on losing weight, toning up, and burning calories, what message does that send? When you connect exercise as a means of weight loss, what does that tell them? Exercise is used to lose weight. Not because it's good for you, it's good for your bones, it's good for digestion, and it's good to, for all these other reasons... But it's good, I need to do it to lose weight. That's how I lose weight. And that's a whole different topic for a different day, but that's not it at all. Because your body will respond to hunger and fullness if you listen. So exercise, with or, exercise is good, but with or without it, um, it is not a means for weight loss. Okay, um, so all that to say is that these are all subtle messages that you send about your appearance and about what's important and what's valuable to you. So when you value, when what you value and how you act speak so loudly, they can't hear what you're saying. When you say, honey, but you're fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139, they can't hear that because they see what you value. So we've got to learn to value the right thing and to follow Christ so they can follow us. So um, your daughters and sons know how you feel about your body and about their body and when you're worried. They know that. They pick up on the stress. They pick up on your fear. They pick up on your frustration. They know that. I've seen it so many times in counseling. The moms will say, but I've never said anything. And then separately the kid's saying, I can tell they're watching me. I know that they're, they know. Okay. So we've got to get a right view. Okay. And then I've already gone over this, but I do want to say just two things on. Um, there is grace. Grace covers a multitude. Love covers a multitude of sins. But grace is our answer. It really is. And God is a God of redemption. And Romans 8, 5 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. Um, I actually looked for the passage and I couldn't find it. But um, it says, The Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten. He will make right what we make wrong. Because he is good, because that is his character, because that's his nature and who he is. He can restore those things. So there is hope. 
And one of the things I often talk to parents about is intent versus execution. I always, for them, until proven otherwise, really believe that the heart of a parent is benevolent, meaning it is good. It desires the very, very best for their kids. And I know that because I see it so much. Um, and yet there's a difference between a parent's intent and a parent's execution of that intent. Okay, and that's some of what we're talking about today, but it is about, okay, learning not about how I'm, I'm causing or blaming, but really how do I contribute to the problem? How am I contributing to these issues? Okay, so we want to know how to keep your daughters and sons from having um, major eating issues. Okay, and I, I say issues because disorders is too strong a word. I wasn't a disorder. I didn't have an eating disorder, but I definitely had issues, and I was definitely obsessed. And my thoughts were definitely like the thoughts of someone with a disorder. So this is how do we operate in a way that keeps us from passing on um, obsession and idolatry of these things. Okay, so that's really our goal. Um, and really the answer to that is the first issue is dealing with our heart, dealing with our issues. And I want to read... Um, I'm going to read it from a couple of articles to y'all. Just to, and these are actually one of them is I think out of like the one of the little Highland Park papers or something like that. And it says here, you can see here it's got a little picture of the lady running. And in, in bold it says, parents, especially moms, need to understand kids watch and hear things at an early age and are like little sponges. I'm going to read a little bit to you because I want you to hear some of the ways and the things they pick up on. It says, um, health officials are warning parents about the dangers of junk food and lack of exercise, yet few speak about parents who meticulously count every calorie that crosses their lips. That type of of obsession can be just as destructive and eventually teaches kids to weigh their self-worth on the scale. This is not a Christian article. This is from just a regular paper. It says, while fathers also play a crucial role in shaping children's attitude about food, research has focused primarily on women and their daughters since females are more likely to diet and worry about body image. Okay, so females are more predisposed maybe than males to worry about that stuff. And so it's saying that um, they're focusing on daughters because they're more likely to do that. It says, frequent dieting by mothers was associated with frequent dieting by their adolescent daughters. This study also found that girls with mothers who had weight concerns were more likely to develop anxieties about their own bodies. And one of the things, actually, I wanted to read, read to you from, and this is from just something that's developmental. It talks about here, it says, preoccupation, and this is, so you need to understand you've got several things working against you. There's a preoccupation with their bodies as they develop already without you ever saying or doing anything. I read this last night, and I was like, it reminded me that, that when they're going through adolescence, their bodies are changing, and it's scary, and it's crazy. It's, it talked about how they look in the mirror every day to see what else has changed. So they're already hyper preoccupied about their bodies. Um, And it says preoccupation with one's body is strong throughout adolescence. However, it is especially acute during puberty, a time when adolescents are more dissatisfied with their bodies than in late adolescence. So they've already got those things working against them. Okay. So I'm going to come back to this. It says um, if... 
Their mother's diet, it's a marker of how important weight is in the household. Even small cues, such as making self-deprecating remarks about bulging thighs or squealing in delight over a few lost pounds, can send that message that thinness is to be prized above all else. Parents, especially moms, need to understand that kids watch and hear things at an early age and are like little sponges. Walking the line between encouraging healthy habits which that's your role, and we can acknowledge that, Um, and not making an issue of weight can be tough, especially with parents already bearing the blame for the rise in obesity rates. So we're trying to kind of combat that. The best strategy is to lead by example. If a fad diet isn't right for your child, what makes it right for you? I'm like, that's good. Good stuff. So here's the deal. I want to challenge you is where do your values about this come from? I want to challenge you to hold up your values and what you believe about your body against God's word, okay? And so um, what's the truth about all this? And, and I think the problem is in Romans 12, too, where it says, Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The problem is, is that we are conformed to the patterns of this world. We are. Um, really and truly, it's like my, my goal, it, you know, it isn't to be the Cynthia God created me to be. Only at 40 am I, you know, I'm learning that in later years. That my goal is to be uniquely who God created me to be. But a lot of times our goal is what the culture says, which is I want to be thin. I want to have cellulite-free legs and butt, which for me is not possible. But that's the goal. And so then I spend my wheels trying to attain that. Okay? And so um, how do these messages affect us is that we begin to live out that lie. I begin to live out of that belief that I'll be happier when I get rid of my cellulite. And the truth is, is that's not true. It's not true that I'm going to be happier, that I'm going to achieve ultimate satisfaction, and that, you know, whatever, that I'm going to arrive if I get there. And that's the, the, um, the false belief, is that if we achieve those things that our culture sets forth for us, that that's going to be um, where we're going to find true happiness and satisfaction. So the problem is that our culture teaches us that what is important and makes us us acceptable and lovable is in reality fading and fleeting. And I love this. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But our culture tells us pursue with all the money, time, energy, effort that you've got. And the Bible's like, beauty is fleeting. And charm is deceptive. As I've sort of looked through the word, trying to, you know, see what God says about this, I just, I read read this passage and sort of made some observations from it because it was real powerful for me as I read it. And it's Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. And it's talking about Jesus. And it says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Okay? And so, according to Isaiah, Jesus was not outwardly attractive. But we know from the rest of Scripture that he was perfect and holy and loving and good and he was God. 
Okay? And he was and so I, and full of character. And I think when I think about that, I'm like, we are so selling ourselves so short and shy of what God desires for us by pursuing just that. By saying, I'm going to go with everything I've got toward that goal. And I'm like, Jesus wasn't any of those things. And yet... He was full of integrity and character and love and compassion and all those things that are beautiful, but not outward. And I just made some observations from it that outward beauty in a person does not necessarily equate to greatness, character, holiness, or perfection. It does not equate to those things. Outward, don't hear me say outward beauty is bad. Outward beauty is from the Lord. And it is good and to be celebrated, but it is not the goal. It is not the goal. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. And goodness and perfection and love may not be outwardly beautiful. And that's okay. And I don't have to run after that to get it in order to be happy. So I have to change my value system. And that's a hard thing when we live in a world that is so overwrought with just beauty and anything to dress up the outside. And so often that is to hide what's on the inside. I've got to put it on so that they won't notice what's going on in here. I've got to put on so they won't see the insecurity in my heart. So I can hide that. I've spent years hiding my insecurity, trying to. And I thought, I remember thinking, if I can just get my body this way, then I'll be okay. And no one can ever say anything to hurt me. Well, we know that's not true. But we spend all our time and energy doing that. So who informs the answer that brings freedom and peace? It should be our maker, our creator, the one who made and formed us. And you've all heard this, but I want to read it to you because it's worth reading. Um, It's Psalm 139, and it's 13 through 16, and it says, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And you know, you've heard this, but I don't knit or sew or do anything like that because I'm not domestic. But how, those of you who do know it is a very detailed and intricate thing. And it requires much precision and accuracy. And God knit you, Christy and Candace and Jenny and Chris. He knit you together. Just the way that you are. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works He is talking about us. Your works, us, are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven, there's another word, woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And as I read through this, And I think about, he knit you together. And I want you to think. I want you to insert your name. He knit you. What is your name? 
He knit me together. You are wonderfully made. You are wonderfully made. His works, you are wonderful. You are wonderful. Your frame, no, it wasn't hidden from him. On the contrary, you were woven together. You were woven together. He saw you. He knew you before you were ever formed. And I was thinking the other day, I wrote all these confessions. I had no intention of sharing this, but I do desire to have kids. And I was playing tennis with this kid. Um, it, it was a high school boy, uh, help out at Bercalo. And, and so anyway, he wound up having me play this boy. And he was 17. And he was just the cutest thing in the whole world and precious. And um, I left there, and I was driving to CR. And all of a sudden, I just burst into tears because I had this moment of, God showing me, I had this, I was like, oh, I want to have a kid to enjoy him. Not to make him what I want him to be, but to enjoy him. And you know what came to me? That is why God created you. To enjoy you. I've never understood the magnitude of that passage. He made me to enjoy me. That's the whole, he knew me, he loved me before I was ever formed. I thought I'd like to have kids, and I love them already, and I don't know who they are. He loved me before I was ever formed. He loved you before you were ever formed. He didn't love you and, and as an accident. He created you to love you. Some of you had kids, maybe even on accident. But God made you to love you. Whatever you look like. And that is not what our culture says. But that is what is true. And if we do not live by that, we will be enslaved. And your kids will be enslaved. It is common, common, common for me to overhear or to hear or whatever comments like, my daughter is, or son is short and stocky, and my other ones, well, she's going to be okay because she's tall and skinny. My short and stocky, she's going to have to worry about what she eats, all that stuff. And I'm like, Who set up the standard that tall and skinny is better? Who? I will assure you God did not. It is not biblical. It is not right. It is not true. In here, in in this book, this is not a Christian book, it talks about specifically that our culture, it talks about that Girls who develop earlier tend to be happier with their bodies. And it says something like, but girls who develop um, later, I don't want to misquote it. It talks about the, the connection between short and stocky and tall and skinny. And the girls that are tall and skinny are happier with their bodies than the girls that are short and stocky. 
because that's what our culture tells them is beautiful. I was like, even there's an acknowledgement, even in a, the developmental book, you know, that, again, not, not biblically based, that our culture says that tall and skinny is better. And again, I just want to challenge us that that's not a biblical view of our body or anyone else's body. And that God, just a, a quick note, God, you, you're, they're not going to have to watch what they eat any more than a tall and skinny if they listen to the signals that God's put inside their body. You want to know how to train your kids on food and body, how to eat, teach them to listen to the signals that God's given them which are hunger and fullness, teach them not to medicate the pain in their life with food. Teach them when they come home and they want an apple even though they're not hungry that, you know, don't eat an apple when you're not hungry. I don't care if you eat an apple or a Twinkie. If you're not hungry, don't deal with the pain in your heart with food. It's not about short and stocky or physique. It's about God's ways work. And we don't have to manage and control and find a way to clamp down on it. Okay, so the Bible actually has the answers, and it brings peace and joy, not self-hatred and obsession. Peace and joy, not self-hatred and obsession. So, if you don't like you or your body, or you're worried about your kids because they have a physique that the culture doesn't like, you need to know you're misinformed. You're misinformed. You're listening to what others are saying and not the creator and the maker you're listening to the wrong voice, and you've got to tune that voice out and tune into what's true. Yeah, and here's the deal, and I spoke to some high school kids recently, and this is what I said to them. This wasn't a knock on parents at all. I said, I want to challenge you to own what you believe about your body and about food and hold it up to God's word. I want you to own it. And I'm saying the same thing to y'all. I want you to own it, own what you believe about food and about body, and hold it up to God's word and see if it holds true. And if it doesn't, know that it will lead you down a path of destruction and slavery and obsession. So what can you do for your kids? Um, have a, you have a healthy and a biblical not a cultural view of your body, of their body. Have a culture, I mean, have a healthy and a biblical view. And here's one of the things I think, and I think this is just a fun exercise. I want you to think about your least favorite body part. We've all got them. You, all, you know what it is. You don't have to think about it. What's your least favorite body part? Think about it. And I want you to think, what would my life be like without that? Mine, I would not be able to sit here. I would not be able to sit in this chair. Right? You know what? Maybe this is a pretty good thing. I can sit down. My butt serves a good purpose. And so does your nose and your thighs and your ankles and your arms and your belly. They serve. Your body is not just a thing to be ogled at. It is functional and wonderful in the way it was. It's an unbelievable machine. And God, in His mercy and goodness, I often think I'm like, what if He took that? What if He took those things away? Man, my life would be different. The body isn't an object. It is. It is not an object to be ogled at, as if that's its only purpose. 
we have to change our mindset. Again, physical beauty is a great thing. It's just not the goal. Okay. So, um, lastly, um, have a biblical view of eating and body image yourself. Eating and exercise, which is, those are totally different topics, and there are plenty of resources out there that are available if you want more information on that. I can point you there, but we don't have time for that today because we have one other topic we're going to cover. And that brings me to the last thing, which is, The other thing that you can do for your kids is to help them talk about their emotions, help them talk about their feelings. Um, We're going to transition into talking about how to help your kids avoid addiction, which has to do with the last point, which is helping them talk about their feelings. You may not know this, but one of the things that causes an unhealthy focus on food and body image and, and really causes eating disorders is the inability for kids to talk about, and I say kids, and these adults too, the inability for them to talk about intense emotional pain. And so focusing on something else is a distraction and becomes an addiction, but it's better than sitting in the feelings and being unable to control them and know what to do with them. So how can you help is help them take responsibility for their feelings Help them know what to do with them, which means you've got to do the same. Again, this all goes back to the starting with you before you get to them. So help them learn to deal with the, 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 the feelings that they have. We talk in counseling a lot about how do you create an addict child. And the answer, never let them feel their feelings. When your daughter comes home from junior high and is crying because somebody called her a name or told her her pants are too short, and you set off to make her feel better, you teach her your feelings are not okay. Don't face them. Cover them up. Oh, what's the, and, and again, going back to your heart's benevolent, right? Your heart is good. You want her not to feel that. Oh, it's the hardest thing in the world for a parent to watch their child suffer. I'm sure it was hard for Millie to, to have her kids want something and to have to deny them. You're like, oh, I so desperately want to give that to them. I desperately want them to be happy and feel joy. But here's the thing. We all know if you're sitting in this chair, in this world, you've experienced pain in your life, right? You get outside of 17 and you go to college and you live life and you try to get a job and you go to story and you do all those things and you hit pain at some point, right? And if you don't teach your kids how to face it and deal with it, they get out there and they're overwhelmed and they have no idea how to deal with loneliness and discouragement and pain and sadness and hurt and anxiety and fear and anger. They don't know what to do with that. All they know to do is to make themselves feel better. See also food as comfort, alcohol as comfort, sex as comfort, shopping as comfort, exercise as comfort. See also how do you help your child create an addiction. Don't let them face and deal with their feelings. Cover them up at all costs. So that requires that we learn to be able to sit in and face our feelings, to face the pain for ourselves, and then teach your kids to do the same. Um, There is in the CR book, the very front, I love this. What's his name? 
Rick Warren. Um, he says, you've undoubtedly heard the expression, time heals all wounds. Unfortunately, it isn't true. As a pastor, I frequently talk with people who are still carrying hurts from 30 or 40 years ago. The truth is, time often makes things worse. Wounds that are left untended fester and spread infection throughout the entire body. Time only extends the pain if the problem isn't dealt with. Okay? So here's the thing. Your wounds will fester. They are festering if you haven't dealt with them. Denying the wound leads to slavery and addiction. And I love this definition. There's a, a book, and it's, on, it's actually from a biblical perspective on addictions. And it says, The true nature of all addictions is that we have chosen to go outside the boundaries of the kingdom of God and look for blessing in the land of idols. To go outside the kingdom of God and look for blessing in the land of idols. So here's the deal with addiction. And and when I say addiction, I mean turning to anything other than God's specific way of dealing with it for comfort um, and to relieve the pain. We have to repent of looking outside of God's ways. I have to repent when I say, Lord, I turned to food today. I turned to people over you today. I turned to relationship. I looked to get my needs met in a way that you actually don't intend. An addiction begins when we choose to go outside of God's design or turn away from God's ways to fill needs only he can fill. So when we eat or look at pornography or shop or do whatever to cover up feelings of insecurity, loneliness, and pain, you increase the pain because you stuff it down and you add to it guilt and shame. And then you've got to stuff that down. And you've got to cover that up. That's how you create addiction. You're going outside God's design for how he intends for you to deal with the pain in your heart. Versus admitting that those behaviors aren't the problem, but that I've got to deal with and face whatever is going on in my heart. And that God intends for me to face it and walk through it. And I love the verse. Um, and I've clung to this verse over the last several years. Uh, it's Psalm 62, and it says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. Verse 8, and I love this. It says, trust, and you want to know what to do with your kids? This is it. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him. For God is our refuge. You teach your kids how to pour their hearts out to God and ask Jesus to heal the pain. My counselor said that to me. I said, I don't know what to do with this pain. You know what he said? Ask Jesus to heal it. God wants us to pour out our hearts to him. And face it. Face the pain. Face the loneliness. Face whatever it is. And let him heal it. That's who he is. That's what role he wants to play in our life. That's... He wants to use those things to draw us to Him, not to some superficial, artificial thing that will only create a spiral of destruction. We deny the pain, it comes out sideways. Those feelings we don't deal with cause us in turn to, the, to turn to the addiction, which in turn leads to more guilt and shame. Emotional wounds are like a physical wound. What happens to a physical wound if you don't address it? It gets an infection. 
The same thing with emotional one. I broke my foot several years ago, and it went for three months, misdiagnosed, and I began to walk with a limp. Not began. I continued to walk with a limp. And my foot, my, my friend who's a, some kind of does something, she looked at it and she goes, that's starting to look deformed. My foot started to look deformed because my foot was broken. My toe like kind of stuck up like that, and it was kind of turned. I was like, this is kind of random. And she was like, you need to go get that checked. There was a broken bone in my foot, and it was untreated. I had to have surgery and a pen put in, and I had to have it cl- all the scar tissue cleaned out. It took them a long time to do that because I've been walking around on it for three months. Same thing with an emotional wound. I've walked with a limp from my emotional wounds, too. I've walked with a limp of trying to deal with the codependency in my heart of desiring the approval of other people or learning to be more in tune with other people than I was with myself by looking to people for that. Until I had to dig out that wound so that I could look to God for that to be able to relate with people in a healthy way. So we have to deal with the emotional wounds Otherwise, we walk with a limp. And limps can look very different. They can look like eating issues, overfocus on body, um, pornography, sex addiction, um, shopping, busyness, relationships, obsession. Everybody's limp looks different. It is all, not all, I don't want to be dramatic and say it that way. They are very often rooted in the same thing. So when we ignore them, we're driven by them. When we ignore the pain, we're driven by it. And it comes out sideways. When parents yell at their kids because they're mad at their spouse, it comes out sideways. I yell at you, I'm really mad at them. I'm not dealing with the real issue. Um, When kids take out their anger at their parents on their sibling... You know, or the youngest kid takes out their anger on the animal because they're mad at somebody else. It comes out in the way that we live. So we've got to deal with the core issue. And just recognizing that what is on the surface and the behavior, a lot of times parents will come in and say, well, they're doing this and that and the other. And I'm like, don't focus on the behavior. Let the behavior be the tip of the iceberg and say, that is a sign to me and a symptom to me of something that's going on in the heart. It's a symptom. It's a flag. It's God's mercy telling me there's something going on. Look underneath the water. Don't try to bang it down underneath the surface and get rid of the behavior. Look underneath the water for what's really going on. So teach your kids to face their pain. The pain of living in a broken world. Teach them to talk about it. Teach them to share. Teach them to feel their feelings and not be, not be dictated by them. I don't mean feel them and wallow in them. Feel them. Acknowledge them. Validate them. And then what's a right biblical response to them and to walk forward? Teach them how to turn to God. Because here's the thing. That's a real, it, that's a hard thing. He is not, and he does intend for us to be hands and feet for one another. But he also intends for us to be able to go to him alone. And receive comfort from him.
Um, I want to read this to you real quickly. I realize we're getting there on time. Um, this is five ways to facilitate communication with your child. Um, and I just thought these were real good. They're real basic. One, choose an informal setting. Disguise the talk by participating in fun. Distract the fun distracting activity. Don't make a formal, awkward, official meeting out of it. One of the ways to shut down a kid is to say, uh, tell me how you feel about the divorce. That's it. You'll never hear from them again. Uh, but, but versus doing something with them and sort of allowing you know, the activity to be a distraction and sort of begin to bring things up. Number two, it says don't be a conversational killer. It says, Gary says, this is the number one thing that loving parents do. Parents want to rescue their children, tell them everything's going to be okay, or tell them why they shouldn't feel bad. And instead, parents shut their children's da- children down by implying what they're feeling is wrong. That's what we've talked about earlier. And that is so often, I cannot tell you the number of moms and daughters or sons or whatever I've sat with, where the, ki- the kid finally starts to share. And what does the parent do? Well, here's why I did that. And they start explaining. And they get defensive. And they don't listen to their child. If you want your child to talk to you, you have to listen and not defend yourself. And let them share. And not, you know, hammer down and try to correct them right in that moment. They're not going to share. When It's the first thing. When you tell, I cannot tell you. And again, it goes back to the whole parents' hearts are good on this. But the kids are like, well, I tell them how I feel. And they say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. And they're like, what makes them want to come back and share? They don't. Well, they're just going to tell me how I'm feeling is wrong. And that's a real simple thing. And that's a real easy thing to change. Like, oh, just let them share. Number three, put yourself in their shoes. Don't assume you know what they're feeling. It's really just trying to hear what it's like to be them in that moment. That's how you connect. You know, I think about, you know, a junior high kid or a high school kid coming home and saying, you know, so-and-so did this or that or the other. And go, man, that must have been hard. I can see how that would have made you feel that way. Now, you can use the feelings to then later shepherd their thinking. Well, can I understand how you feel. I get that. You know, and at some point, you know, maybe later today, can we talk about kind of what's true and what God says about you? Yes, the, the feelings are just a barometer for you to go, oh, there's more going on. I need to shepherd their thinking, but maybe not when they're sharing their feelings, just right there in that moment. Give them a chance to share before you helped correct what they're telling them. So a lot of times you say, well, what are you telling yourself? Are you saying, are you thinking, you know, you're a loser because they said that to you? Okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what you're thinking. Initiate the conversation. Don't say, come to me if you want to talk. Too many parents avoid bringing up certain situations because they're afraid it'll make their kids feel sad. If your kids aren't sad, you're not going to make them feel sad by acting, by asking. So a lot of times they're worried about person. Well, I don't want to, I want to put that idea in their head. And then lastly, welcome tears and emotion. It says it's important for your children to get their feelings out. The hardest thing as a parent is to really see your child in pain especially when you think that somehow you've contributed to that pain. He says, don't feel guilty because that guilt sometimes stops you from wanting to see it, and it's so much better to be able to see it. Welcome it. And I'm telling you, understanding and getting your child, getting, and I always, a lot of times I tell parents, your goal, I think, aside from shepherding your child, is to understand them. 
If you can think of that as, I want to understand what's going on in their little heart and mind. That will open you up to let them share. Um, the greatest gift you can give your child is understanding. And they will, that will heal, be a part of the healing process through loving them, feeling loved and connected to. So, the answer is not necessarily intervening um, in their feelings, but, but letting them feel those things and introducing them to the Lord. And how, you know, Mom, how do, I, how do I talk to the Lord about my pain? And really introducing them to the God that wants to be that for them. And it's a real intangible thing, I realize. And it's a hard thing to teach, but that's really what they need to know at the end of the day, is how do I connect with God on my own? How do I turn to Him and not these, all these other things? All right, let's pray. Lord, I do just thank you for today and just for the privilege of getting to share and um, really just look at your word and what your word says. And I thank you really that your word brings life, that your principles and your ways are right and good and perfect. And that you have not left us here to figure it out on our own, but you've made a perfect provision for us, not only in Christ, um, but just in telling us, here's how to live. And so, Lord, I just pray for each of our hearts that... um, we would respond to whatever conviction, whatever wisdom, whatever word that you're given to us today. And I pray even in their um, just table talk time that they'll examine and try to come up with, for me, what is this? What do I need to look at today? What do I need to look at relative to my issues with body image and the way that I view? What truths do I need to meditate on? What do I need to change about the way I relate to my child and helping them avoid addiction and turn to you? So, Father, would you bring up those things even now in their heart? Would you bring to mind and heart those things that you want to do in us? Would you change us? Because that is our only hope. It is in you and you alone. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Questions. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, that's just sort of positive. It's po- you're reinforcing good behavior, right? And I think that's a positive thing. I mean, I think that's a good thing. Um, I, I think, and here's the, the, the way that I view that that's different than what I was saying about, like, someone feels bad. When I think of this, I think of, um, a, you know, a kid coming home and they're sharing, you know, about, you know, something that's hard that's happened. Instead of saying, well, let's go get some ice cream or let's go shopping. Let's cover that up, kind of looping your arm in there. Someone gave me that example, looping your arm in there and saying, tell me about that. So I think that's very, that's to me different. Um, that trying to cover up feelings is different maybe than positively reinforcing behavior. Does that make sense? So I, I think that's a different category of, yeah. So I think that's fun. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. And here, and this is the thing I think. And and again, I, I really just confess to you, I'm not a mom, and I'm not there. And so I humbly respond to these questions. Um, but I, I think, uh, like, at what age do you begin to talk to them about the Lord? And to to me, I'm thinking, like, they're such little sponges. 
as early as possible, right? So as early as possible, connecting, you know, using those tangible things and making spiritual application where you can. And and just and it's like I've heard Todd say, we don't always sit around, we don't sit around necessarily and do devotion, family devotionals, but I'm looking for opportunities in every way to say, hey, what does that what does that teach you about you know life, about you know kindness or gentleness or whatever. And so looking for those opportunities, um, and I think you know where you can make the spiritual applications as early as possible. Maybe they don't get it, but. Not letting that keeping you from doing I think a lot of times, and I could be wrong about this, but it seems like a lot of times parents maybe wait to, like, they, they, they maybe not given enough credit for, they really can understand some of this stuff earlier than maybe you think. Does that make sense? So trying to, to make those applications just as early as you feel like they can get it. So, again, I'm not the expert on that, but... Mhm. Mhm. Good question. Um, because you know we all do have different wiring, and what I know is that they need to talk. That's what I know. Um, how to do it? Um, I think every kid's going to be different. And I think, I mean, we know some basic things that children respond to quantity time, to time with, and that they're not going to open up right away. A lot of times parents will bring in teenagers, and I'm thinking, you know, man, I don't know how I'm going to engage with a teenager that I don't know in a counseling office and be able to, I mean, it's going to take a while to form a relationship Right, where they feel trusting and that they want to share and that kind of thing. And that's really the way it is with all of us, that it takes time to sort of establish that trust and that, you know, and that you're a good listener and those kind of things. So I, I would say, or this is what I, I think I would try, is, is just spending that time and figuring out how you can, you know, in different activities. With, and again, it, like, I don't want you to hear, like, go, I mean, I probably, if I had kids, I'd probably take them to Harry's and sit across from them and be like, well, tell me about your day, you know. But just, you know, using whatever you can to get them to open up. And, and really and truly, and we always talk about this, this is what your kids are doing, especially teenagers, teenagers more. They're doing this, which is get back, but come here, you know. And you need to respond to this always. Yeah, they do need they do need to you need to respect their space and their privacy and that kind of stuff too. But your kids want time with you. What they they going back to the messages, a message that they get from you when you engage with them face to face, when you talk to them, we say, Well tell me about that. You know, and you you know, and and there is a balance because I know that there are some kids that are like, They give me a thousand questions. Right. And they're taking it like bug off. And the parents like, but I'm desperate to know what's going on. So there is a balance. And I I think that a lot of times is more in the teenage years than it is in the early years. You know, that that's more when they're there's a they're beginning to have what's a normal, natural separation and healthy independence. And they're learning to be adults and they need a little space different than when, you know, prior to that. You know, you know, your kids are all over you. You know, I mean, they're hanging on you. They're all up in your Kool-Aid. You can't have a moment by yourself. And you know, what do they want from you? Time. 
And so I think having that time and, and, and really being strategic to utilize that time, not just for play, but for purpose and to really, and I think early on, when I think about like a lot of times I'm with my nieces and nephews and, and I want to do certain things. I'm like, well, they're not used to this. This isn't what they do. So me coming in and doing this is going to be weird. But I often think I'm like, that'd be fun to have things where you're like, okay, what are, you know, highs and lows or what are things that you do as a family where you begin to just openly talk. And, and I would say, like, for example, I think it's Laura. Is that right? Your husband, you know, that he's going to need to learn to talk because she is going to, if she's wired that way, follow after that and not necessarily it's not a negative thing but she, he, he's going to need to do that so that he can model for her hey we talk about things that's why we do so yeah yes and those are great words and two, two things thanks for reminding me about this two things i want to add to that first is with your kids you need to be consistent if you're if, you, if you're saying one or two cookies for the girls it's one or two cookies for the boys if you're saying one or two cookies for the the tall and for the short and stocky, it's one or two for the tall and skinny, because that, going back to they send, it sends them a message. That message is there's something different and wrong with you that you can't have this, and so you need to know that. And the other thing I just want to say real quickly is, um, thank you for reminding me about that. When they go through puberty, it is normal and natural for girls to gain between 20 and 40 pounds. So when they start putting on weight and your anxiety and your fear starts coming up, you've got to deal with your fear and anxiety because they are, that is natural. That's God's, he, he is, they're developing into being a woman. They're gaining weight. Their body's changing. And you need to recognize that's a good thing. And so um, just I think those statistics, a lot of people are like, oh, I didn't know that they're, they're supposed to gain weight. So that's a good thing. And, and they need to hear that. And one of the things I didn't say, they, the family needs to be the safe haven. They're getting beat up when they go to school with it. And the family's got to be the place they can come in and talk about it and say, I don't feel good about my body. I'm short and stocky and she's tall and skinny and the boys are asking her out. And then you can go, you know what, that's okay. I understand why you feel that way. Let's talk about that. You know, and then be able to shepherd and go, you know what? You're made just the way you're supposed to be made. And so, anyway, just say that just to go, be aware so that you can educate them as they come to you and feel the freedom to share how they're feeling about themselves.